I try to adapt myself to the space that I'm in, and when I heard you guys doing sort of this back-and-forth conversation during the announcements, I was like, oh, okay, this is what's happening. So I'm fully expecting something from Boyd during this sermon. That just goes without saying. <laughs> and uh, for those of you that don't know me, my name is John or Pastor John. Um, I am one of the pastors at Palmdale United Methodist Church, but I used to work here as the youth director, and it's just so good to be back in this space worshiping with you. Uh, Thank you. So at some point uh, or stage in your life, it's inevitable that each of us will feel a little bit out of place, wondering where we fit, looking to be needed, or wanted, or fulfilled. As you think about that feeling of wanting to be needed, wanted, fulfilled, maybe a a memory in your distant past comes to mind. Or maybe that's a feeling you've had more recently of being a bit out of place. It could even be some area of your life right now. Uh, Holidays tend to be a time where people either feel right at home or are yearning for that at-home experience, maybe far away from their family or maybe some other type of experience like that. When I was in college, uh, I'm not sure I ever spent Thanksgiving with my family because I lived 900 miles from home at that time. So uh, I would venture home for Christmas uh, in the summertime, but for Thanksgiving, I had to come up with alternate plans. I was on my own, and I feel like I got really lucky uh, because each year, a different family adopted me and welcomed me into their home with loving arms. I don't know if you've ever had somebody just crash your Thanksgiving or Christmas meal, uh, but it's quite the experience. Um, And so during my freshman year, in my very first Thanksgiving away from home, which was kind of a strange feeling, a girl named Britt invited me and about 10 other freshmen to her home in Iowa. So we all piled into a couple, two or three cars. We drove up to her place. And for a week, we took over her family's home, crashing every bed, couch, air mattress, and anything else that was remotely comfortable or comfy that we could find each night. So, by the way, at, at, at the time, it didn't really seem to me to be all that crazy. But now looking back, I mean, can you imagine hosting a dozen high-energy, newly independent college freshmen in your home for Thanksgiving? I mean, I can't even fathom. And, uh, but it was such a cool experience being invited into that space like that and having those doors flung wide open for us when we had nowhere else to go for Thanksgiving. That's a feeling that every human is hungry for. We all have a longing to belong, don't we? Robert Waltinger and uh, Mark Schultz published a book earlier this year uh, based on a decades-long Harvard study on this topic. And in that book, which is called The Good Life, 
lessons from the world's longest scientific study of happiness. They write, yeah, it's a great title and also very long. You know, they, they match the, t- the length of the title to the length of the study. It just, you know, makes sense. They write that the single most important predictor of a person's health and happiness, even more significant than diet and exercise, is a person's relationships. I don't know if that strikes you as surprising or, or maybe you're like, yeah, that makes complete sense. I've seen some Carlene's nodding her head, yeah. So in this book, they write, good relationships keep us healthier and happier, period. So if you're going to make that one choice, that single decision that could ensure your own health and happiness, science tells us that your choice should be to cultivate warm relationships of all kinds. In the letter of Romans, and we just heard John read our scripture passage for today, the Apostle Paul shows us that he understands our desire and our need for belonging somewhere. He knows that it's hardwired into us and that God created us for connection. So among Paul's many complex thoughts about faith in this letter, this is one of the biggest questions that Paul is trying to help readers with. What kind of relationship is the one that God invites us into? What are the dynamics of that relationship or the expectations or the starting points for being in a relationship with God? In today's scripture reading from Romans 8, Paul is reminding the Christians in Rome who they are. They are beloved children who have been adopted into the family of God by divine grace which, by the way, remains true for people of faith today. Paul writes in verse 16 that the Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Speaking of family, uh, my family is here with us today. You saw Julian up here for the, uh, the children's moments. Um, when I was appointed to serve as a pastor at Palmdale United Methodist Church, and I said my farewells to this lovely, nurturing community. Cordy and I were just the extent of the gentries. Now, almost three and a half years later, we've expanded to include a toddler slash wild animal <laughs> named Julian. And uh, just this past August, we welcomed our sweet little marathon napper, Liliana, into the world. And she's also back there. Uh, thank you. So if there are any new parents or new grandparents among us uh, or worshiping online, then you know that that's, there's an awful lot of newness that just rushes at you all at once when you become a parent. And it can be only at times. Uh, and you also know that you're definitely not going to get it all right. But you do hope that at the base of it all, there's a solid layer of trust that's built You hope, like me this week, after all the faith softs with a toddler who looks you dead in the eyes as he makes a mess of himself, even though you've been desperately trying all week, including Thanksgiving Day, to teach him about this amazing thing called a potty, with seemingly no progress in sight, while you're trying to hold yourself together and not have a complete meltdown, you hope, like me, that at the end of the day, at least... He gets the more important message 
from you that he is unconditionally and wholeheartedly embraced and celebrated in the family where he belongs, right? That's what you want as a parent. That's what we want as a community of faith, a place where we belong. Here's the thing. More times than we would probably like to admit, uh, God comes to us with wisdom that leads to life and peace, as Paul puts it in verse 6. And we just stare right back at God with a stubborn determination and say, nope, I'd rather do my own thing. I'm good on my own. The attitude is what Paul refers to as living according to the flesh. Paul writes in verse 12 and 13, Brothers and sisters, we are obligated not to the flesh to live according to the flesh, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. If you're wondering what characterizes the flesh, it's the question, what's in it for me? It's the attitude that I don't owe anyone anything. It's the belief that my individual freedoms are more important than the well-being of my family or my community or my workplace. It's even the self-deception that my personal virtue is all I need to get into God's good graces, or that I can take it from here without any more help. John Wesley uh, famously learned, and some of you, many of you probably already know this, uh, the very hard lesson in his short-lived time as a pastor in the colony of Georgia. Wesley, who was the founder of our Methodist tradition, was served a bitter slice of humble pie when he learned through trial and error that there is more to being a pastor than simply trying to whip a church up into spiritual shape. He ended up alienating his congregation. He failed in his romantic pursuit. He became an agent of division rather than unity. And for all of John Wesley's disciplined practices and his well, deep well of scriptural knowledge, Wesley was still in the process of learning that it is the Holy Spirit who draws us into the loving relationship with God and makes us part of God's family. In fact, right after returning to England, what with only failure to show uh, for his uh, travels, he soon learned by experience how the Spirit assures us that we belong to God listening to a group of Moravians read Martin Luther's preface to the book of Romans, John Wesley suddenly felt his heart strangely warmed by the Spirit in a way that helped him trust in Jesus more profoundly and more meaningfully than he had ever before. If you visit Savannah, Georgia, and I don't know if anybody's ever been to Savannah before, then maybe if you've been, you've seen the, the statues of John Wesley and his brother Charles, right? And yeah, Carly and Zana took some pictures. Um, and you might think to yourself, what? Why? You know, like, John's time in Savannah was so problematic. It wasn't exactly the picture of success, right? Yes, maybe so. But I like to think of those moments as a reminder that God's love for us is pretty darn resilient. John's disappointing time in Savannah didn't stop God from giving him a breakthrough moment on his return home. It didn't stop God from working through John's successors 
who would go on to have a very successful ministry in America. As we see at the end of Romans 8, there is absolutely nothing that has a power to separate us from the love of Christ, love of God in Christ Jesus. I don't know how worthy of love you are feeling today. Maybe you were lonely over Thanksgiving and felt unloved. Maybe words were said across the dinner table that probably shouldn't have been said. Maybe you ate more helpings of uh, pumpkin pie than you should have, and the guilt is setting in, and the pie is settling in. Uh, Maybe you you, uh, were like my brother this Thanksgiving and decided to soften the butter in the oven, which caused a grease fire, which meant that you had to ask your neighbors for his oven to finish cooking so that the family could eat a Thanksgiving meal and then had to deal with the jokes from the family. I don't know. What I do know is that through Paul's words in Romans 8, we hear that the Spirit of God is urging us to follow and discover or rediscover that we have a place in God's family. In my time on staff here, one of the most powerful experiences I had was participating in the Conejo Valley uh, Meal and Shelter Program, and I saw Kathy around here somewhere. Um, I still remember how faithfully, month after month, Kathy Loeb would organize different groups from our church to go serve a meal all around town. Kathy, before these meals, would always remind us, us as volunteers, how important it is to see the people that we're serving. It wasn't just a simple act of charity or an hour or two of our time. Instead, we were there to serve others in our community and to make genuine connections with them, to treat them with dignity and warmth, and to send the message that they belong to our community. I believe that is one of the most profound acts of witness as churches when we find helpful and healing ways to create a community of belonging in the same way that God has done it for us. You may have heard some say that that we are in an epidemic of loneliness. I don't know, have you heard this before? Uh, Even the U.S. Surgeon General has advised on this one. Uh, One author writes that studies have shown that chronic loneliness is more dangerous to your health than smoking 15 cigarettes a day. I don't know how they, like, quantify that, by the way, or, you know, there's kind of like a rounded number, but it's kind of shocking, right? Experts call it an epidemic of loneliness because it's not the body that's killing us, it's the lonely soul that's killing the body. In addition to calling it an epidemic of loneliness, others have phrased it as a crisis of belonging, Edward Brodkin and uh, Ashley Palarthra help us to see that when it comes to loneliness, there's more than meets the eye. And in their book, Missing Each Other, How to Cultivate Meaningful Connections, they write, loneliness is not defined by isolation or, or solitude, which is the way we normally define it, but rather by how satisfied you are with your connectedness to people or by how socially isolated you perceive yourself to be. Research on loneliness clearly identifies that the quantity of relationships, the number of people you know, is far less important than the quality of those relationships, 
even having just one person who's available and tuned in to you has shown to yield more, uh, sorry, much lower rates of depression and relationship difficulties, even in the presence of adverse experiences. Power of relationships. If it's true that one of the great challenges facing our current culture is loneliness or a lack of belonging, it seems to me like the church is positioned well to help address that challenge, right? In a way, I, I can say that's what this church helped do for me. When I graduated from Fuller Seminary in 2013, I floundered a little bit. I didn't have the next step planned out. I decided to take the scenic route. I've been in, I'd been in many different churches, but had never put down roots in a particular tradition. I lacked mentorship, and I went through a period of wandering, even at one point unsure if I even belonged in ministry. But I feel that the Spirit continued to lead me in that time, though, and eventually I found my way here. On my first Sunday here, a kind older man came up to me and said, I haven't seen you before. You must be one of the new youth. To which my 30-year-old baby-faced self had to sort of sheepishly respond, well, actually, I'm not one of the youth. I'm actually the new youth director. Uh, <laughs> Believe it or not, I had actually never stepped foot in the United Methodist Church until I was hired here. But it almost immediately felt right to me. I'm so grateful for the community here who encouraged me and inspired me. I'm grateful for the pastors who mentored me in a way that I'd never been mentored before. Pastor Brian, Pastor Rachel. I certainly am grateful for Pastor Walt, who guided me through the ordination process and prepared me for the work of being a pastor. And when I come back to this church, it does feel in a way like coming home because it's a community where I have found a sense of belonging. And that's only my story, of course. There are so many other stories here, who have people who have experienced something equally or maybe even more profound in discovering who they are in God's eyes and finding a real sense of community. I wonder what your story is or what you're still searching for. Community and connection is in our DNA. Scripture is filled to the brim with stories of a God who makes covenants with people and works to unite them in faith and hope and love. As Michael Gorman writes in his biblical commentary on Romans, God's covenant with the people of God has always included a familial dimension. You see, God made a covenant with Noah and his family. God made a covenant with Abraham and his family. And now in the letter to Romans, Paul tells us that God has made a covenant like none ever before. That in Jesus, God has announced a spiritual family that is more expansive, more grace-filled than you could have ever imagined. In Romans 8, 14 through 16, Paul writes this, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received a spirit of adoption. When we cry, Abba, Father, it's that very spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Here, Paul is trying to get the church in Rome to see themselves as a spiritual family who are being parented through the work of the Holy Spirit into a brand new way of life. 
And it begins with recognizing that God has claimed them and us as his children. This is not a transactional relationship. This is not a one-sided relationship. We are talking about being adopted into God's family. In his commentary, Douglas Moo writes this, In adopting us, God has taken no half measures. We have been made full members of the family and partakers of all the privileges belonging to members of that family. There are no commitment issues with God. God is all in. The transcendent and mysterious God who deserves our awe and wonder somehow surprises us with the intimate plan of making us family through his son, Jesus Christ. Wow. If you navigate to this church's website, in big, bold letters... It reads this, setting a course for a better life, not aimlessly wandering towards a better life, not casually thinking about a better life, not hoping on a prayer for a better life, no, not even a better life, I'll get to it eventually, no, setting a course for a better life. I love that because it's it's action-oriented, it's purposeful, it's intentional. In Romans 8.14, Paul writes, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. God doesn't just say to us, hey, welcome to the family. Now, good luck finding out what, uh, whatever that might look like for you. No. I mean, can you imagine if I showed up at that family's house in Iowa for Thanksgiving, and they're like, hey, come on in, and it'll just kind of find your way around for the next week, right? No. Far from it. We have the Spirit of God who helps us to understand what that family looks like. We have the Holy Spirit who gifts us and encourages us and takes the lead, not putting us in competition with one another, but integrating us into a spiritual family. Douglas Moo writes this, To be led by the Spirit probably means, in this context, not to be merely guided by the Holy Spirit, but to have the direction of one's life as a whole determined by the Spirit. The Spirit sets the tone and the culture of the family of God. The question for us is, will we, will we listen with open and attentive hearts? Will we follow even if the Holy Spirit encourages us to create a space of belonging for people who are different than us or who challenge us? They say you don't choose your family, and that is definitely true of God's family. As Jesus tells his disciples in the Gospel of John, you did not choose me, I chose you. I don't know what's on the horizon for your upcoming week or for your observance for the season of Advent that begins next week or your plans for Christmas or anything else that's on your calendar, but I do know we are connectional creatures who God made for relationship. Will you commit yourself today to reaching out to someone else in your life with God's powerful and healing love? Will you follow the Spirit's lead as you go and do that and expect something amazing to happen? Who knows? You could help someone find their place of belonging in God's family.
And how amazing would that be? Amen.